So turn your Bibles to 2 John. I've lied to you for about a month. I thought that we were going to do 2 and 3 John this morning together, um, but there's just way too much to talk about uh, in 2 John. I didn't want to rush through it. As a reminder, again, we're traveling through the book of Acts together. As we're going through the book of Acts, when the gospel goes to particular communities, God just placed it on my heart. Let's pause and look at the other letters that the Lord has written to those communities so that when we sit in that context, we get a fuller flavor of what happened, not just when the gospel arrived, but what's gone on over time. And as we turn our attention to John, the Apostle John, he spent his later years of ministry with Ephesus as his home base. So now we're going to cover Second uh, John today. Next week we'll be in Third John. Two weeks... After that, we'll do 1 John, and then after that, we'll spend a good 10 weeks in Revelation and go through John's letters to these specific communities. Um, So, without further ado, we're going to read through this whole second epistle of John. Now, we'll back up, because this is really rich. It's very simple. It's very direct. We have a lot to talk about. So, it says, The Elder... To the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, as of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. What a promise. From who? From God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For, why is he saying this? Because there's many deceivers have gone out into the world and who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds." Having many things to write to you, I did not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. 
So short letter, kind of straight to the point, and like with John, I'm sitting in this. There's a lot to talk about. John has, as a typical pastor, there's a lot more that he wants to communicate about these subject matters and other subject matters. But it's, hey, I don't want to put this down in pen and paper because I want to speak mouth to mouth to you. I want to have a conversation. I want to spend time with you. I want to encourage you and continue to point you to Jesus. So here is what John is doing. He's identified as the elder. There's some debate you know, all throughout church history. Is this John the Apostle? Is this another man that was referred to as John the Elder in early church history? We believe it's John the Apostle. You're free to, you know, step into that subject matter if you choose to. But it says that he's writing to the elect lady and to her children. And this is, this is a metaphor for the church. And what's really, uh, I think, that's glorious about how we are to communicate about one another and to one another in regards to brothers and sisters in Christ is to honor each other. This word lady, it's the feminine version of the Greek word for Lord. So when we call Jesus Lord, it's, it's, a, it's identifying him in a position of honor. We can go and sit in Victorian English where you know, you're referring to men as lords and to women as ladies of the upper class. It's something that elevates it's language that elevates our brothers and sisters in our minds as we communicate to them. And here he is, an elder. The Lord has called him as an elder, and you can sit in First Timothy and in Titus in regards to the qualifications for an elder. And it's not that we qualify ourselves. It's God is the one who qualifies the men and the women into the service that he has called them. But when you sit in that, next week, we're going to sit in the testimony of a jerk elder of a jerk pastor, of a man who is interacting with the congregation that he is a part of as totally opposite of the character that he has been called to. It doesn't say that he's not a believer. It doesn't say that he's preaching false doctrine. It just says he's got an attitude. And his attitude is, I want to control everything, and anybody who is not in line with me, I'm going to shove out, and I'm not going to welcome it in. Again, just a jerk attitude. That's not John's attitude. When you sit with John in the Gospel of John, when you sit with him in these letters, you sit with him in Revelation and what Jesus revealed to him in that, in that document, you see a man who is madly in love with the person, Jesus Christ. When we get into 1 John, he talks about, I touched him. I heard him. I ate with him. I experienced him. And this man who was real to me is who I am sharing with you. And this is the whole heart of what he is dealing with in this passage. There are people who are coming and telling lies about Jesus to a community that he loves. To, this, to these individuals that he is identifying as a body. This lady. There's, there are liars. There are snakes. There are deceivers. There are worthless human beings coming in and trying to stain this lady, and trying to mar this lady. And this is the heart and the passion that he has for this community and for the church as a whole. So it's to the elect, to the chosen one. You and I, we have been chosen in Jesus Christ from before the foundations of the world. What a promise. To the elect lady and her children. So to 
individuals in the body, and it may be to sister churches that are in the community as he closes this letter, you know, where he is writing from, your elect sister, this other congregation in this community, they're greeting you also. But look at these words. He says, I love you in truth. So we want to give definition to, to both of these words, but we're going to start with the word truth. And this is, this is fascinating. When you sit in the Gospel of John, John identifies Jesus. Jesus identifies himself as the way, the truth, and the life. As he is standing before Pontius Pilate, he tells Pilate that he came, the whole purpose that he became a man was, of course, to die for our sins. But he tells Pilate, I came to bear witness of the truth. And Pilate's response is, what is truth? And I sit in Pilate's kind of attitude because as you sit in the culture in which we live, do you have a hard time identifying what is true and what is false? I do. Every time I read any kind of news article, any kind of event in the world that is going on, um, I am automatically pessimistic. Because I feel that people are trying to preach to me their perspectives. They're not trying to communicate to me what is true. So I have, I have a really hard time filtering through what is true. It feels very slippery. So are masks helpful or are masks not helpful? Well, you can go find people on different perspectives and whether they're good or bad or indifferent for COVID and what's going on. What was the source of COVID? How effective is it? Why is it, why is it so damaging to some people and not others? We sit in a spectrum of opinions and communication on this singular subject matter that we're all sitting in right now. Do you feel the truth is slippery? I feel it's very slippery. I have a hard time filtering through that. But this is what is awesome about the declaration of who God is. He is truth. Now, just, just think about the nature and character when we talk about God. You have, there's two choices. You either believe that you were created, and if you believe that you were created, then there is truth. If you do not believe that you were created, and you believe that this is just a random chance that you exist, there is no truth. Truth becomes whatever you want it to be, and that's so much what our culture communicates. What is true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do, and it becomes a very slippery sliding scale on what you want to do, how you want to do it, what you think is true in the moment. And often, not often, it's always based on a very limited perspective. And this is where, you know, when Jesus tells us not to judge, why? Because I'm a, I'm a terrible judge. Why? Because I, I don't have the truth. I don't have the full perspective and circumstance God does. God is judge. He has the full understanding. We need discernment in this life, absolutely. But I don't sit as anybody's judge condemning them to hell. The Lord tells us the whole world is condemned unless you're in Christ. And then we're saved. We're born again. We're going to talk about these ideas as we continue this morning. But what is truth? Pilate's question. God is truth. He is the one that is factual. He is the one who is real. He is the one who knows everything. He understands everything. He has put everything into place. He knows your beginning. He knows your end. He knew you before he created you. And he knows your position in him for all eternity. He is truth. 
and why that is such an important definition in regards to who God is and an attribute is as we attempt to follow him and respond to him, we have to seek him every day for what's true. I misinterpret life's experiences every single day. As I interact with my bride, who I love dearly, I misinterpret her mind, her words, her actions. I'll place my definition over her and why she's responding the way that she's responding, whether it's in joy or whether it's anger, whatever. And I don't have the full perspective and understanding. I have to ask questions. I have to communicate with her. She has to respond to me and reveal what's going on. I have to do the same thing with my kids. I have to do the same thing with you. My perspective is very limited, so we seek the Holy Spirit. Lord, give me discernment. Help me to understand. I need your truth in this moment. I don't need my heart. I don't need my mind. I don't need my understanding. I don't need my perspective. I don't need to be right. I need what is true. And it's from that position, knowing that he is truth, that we are able to understand love. Because not only is God truth, God is love. So as we attempt to, as Paul, or not Paul, as John is telling this congregation, I love you in truth. He knows his words, the weight behind his words is his revelation, his understanding, and who God is to him. And I am only able to tell you that I love you in truth because I know who Jesus is. I've experienced him. John was one of the disciples that saw Jesus dying on the cross. He watched that sacrifice. He saw him resurrected. He watched him ascend. He was filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. From that moment that Jesus called him on the shores of Galilee for the rest of his life, he sought to reflect the love that he received from Jesus in truth to everybody around him. He's a fascinating man. And again, it's just, I love you in truth. Easy to say, but when you sit in all the definition, now you know why we can't cover Second John today too. I love this too. I love, I love you in truth. But it's not just me that loves you. All those who have known the truth, all of those who ex have experienced the truth, all of those who have experienced Jesus, they love you too. And I think that that's such a cool definition in the body of Christ. You can go anywhere in the world, and when you sit down with a believer, there's an instant love, respect, kindness. You want, to, you want to get to know him. You want to understand who Jesus has been to him. It's really fun. This is what God has done for me. And at the same time, you want to let, let me hear what God has done for you. Describe for me how he has changed you. And I need to hear that testimony from you because it reminds me of what he's done for me and how he's loved me. Because if God can love you, <laughs> he can love me, right? But it's fascinating to share these stories. It's fascinating in the definition, just him encouraging. It's not only I that love you, but all of your brothers and sisters who have experienced the truth, who is Jesus. They love you too. And the reality is this truth, again, God is the one who abides in us and will be with us forever. More attributes of God. Favor. Compassion. Harmony, the promise will be with you, not just right now, 
but in the next hour, this evening, tomorrow, for all eternity, God himself, as he expresses his favor towards you, as he expresses his compassion towards you, as he expresses his peace, his harmony towards you, he will be with you forever in all of his attributes. He is the source, God the Father, and not only the Father, but from the Lord. Again, that same word for lady, it's just feminine version or masculine version, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is what? The Son of the Father in love and in truth. In verse 4 there, if you mark in your Bibles, I want you to underline rejoiced or circle rejoiced. Because that is the same word where we're told not to greet those who are communicating lies about God. Don't rejoice with those people. So he is communicating, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children, some people who are a part of your congregation, I have found them walking in truth, just as we all receive commandment from the Father. And, he's, and again, this is, a, this is what's so consistent about God. It's how he repetitiously teaches us the same things over and over and over. It's what I do in my role here. It's what John is doing here. He is already communicating to believers, and now he's pleading with those same believers to what? Just continue. Keep loving God. And how do we love God? We are told here that we are to... um, This isn't a new commandment. It's not something that's unused or unknown. But this commandment that we've had from Jesus is from the very beginning. And again, this is, you can go sit in John 13. That expression there is Jesus washing the disciples' feet, providing them an example. But this command that we are to love one another and giving the definition that this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And Jesus flat out says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, that means that when we talk about love, it is more than an emotional feeling. But love has a a lot to do with emotions. How we feel, how we understand, what we think about this person, what we think about the Lord. Love has much to do with our emotions. Love has much to do with acts of service. There's action behind uh, love, as you love your spouse, your kids, as you love one another, as you love the Lord, there are actions that are tied to it. But ultimately, when you sit in the definition that God is love, love's definition, love's focus has to be upon Jesus and Jesus alone. Because if you are attempting to love somebody apart from who the Lord is, then you're a liar. And Paul's going to... Er, I keep saying Paul, John, because we've been dealing with Paul for so long. John is going to deal with that very directly in 1 John. This first letter that he's sending to this community, he's asking these questions. If you say this and you don't do that, then you're a liar. If you say this and you do this, then you're true. And you're being obedient to his commands. This is, uh, I'm going to post this on, uh, with a message when we post the message up online. Um, This is a study that I did in Salt Lake. It's a study that we did here in the men's breakfast. It's been a good five or six years since we were in this. But the study is called The Commands of Christ. 
So if you just pick a gospel, and then this one, it starts in the gospel of Matthew and just travels through Matthew and then steps into the other gospels to pick up the other commands that Jesus uh, says that we are to do where this is what Jesus has told you and me to do. Here are his commands. What are they? How many could you list off? Well, here's 49 of them. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna sit in every single one of these in depth. No, we're not. But his first command. So we just sat in the nativity story. Here, God became a man. God is in the flesh. What did he do? Jesus told, uh, told Pilate that he came to bear testimony to the truth. So the words that come out of his mouth are what is true. And out of his mouth came all of these things. This is what you will do if you love me. Very direct, very simple. And he tells us that his commandments, they're not, it's not this heavy head trip. It's not a burden. If you know and understand who God is in truth and in love, this is, this is just who you want to be. And the first command that comes out of Jesus' mouth in his public ministry is what? Repent. If you love me, you will repent. You will turn away from everything. Yourself, other people, other systems, other gods, and I will make you new. Turn. And confession's a part of that. Transformation's a part of that. A change of mind is a part of that. But there's an agreement with his statement of repent. He gives the reason why, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All of the other world's kingdoms, their systems, their governments, they don't need your repentance. His kingdom demands your repentance. If you want a relationship with the God who created you, you must repent. And then his next command comes with a promise. He says, follow me. So again, we see in all of this where God initiates things. God is the one who enables us to repent in the first place. He is the one who empowers us to follow him. But we have a choice whether or not we want to. And in the follow him, he says, follow me. I am commanding you to follow me. That means to walk in his footsteps. Paul is, man, I keep saying Paul. John, he's, he's rejoicing that other people are walking in the truth. Literally, I am rejoicing that there are your children that are part of this congregation that are following Jesus. I'm rejoicing in that greatly. And the promise that Jesus gives to it is, I will make you to be a fisher of men. I will, I will transform whatever you think your identity is in your job and your task in life, and I'm going to enable you. I'm going to enable you to shine brightly into other people's lives, to expose. He, said, he uses us to expose himself to other human beings. I, I have, there are countless number of other human beings who have followed Jesus that he is used to help catch me. And not just catch me, but retain me. So repent, follow me. He tells us to rejoice. Well, when are we supposed to rejoice? Well, when we see other people walking with Jesus, for sure. But he says to rejoice when all people speak evil against you falsely. That's a hard command to follow. 
Have you ever been mocked because you're a believer? Have you ever just read some kind of news story about persecution or um, how another believer was mocked? You ever just get welled up with anger, Lord, like with David in those imprecatory psalms, kick their teeth in, Lord? Tells us that's a, that's a position to rejoice in. Why? Because they persecuted Jesus. And we can sit in every single one of these in depth of why he gives the command. He tells us, and again, there's a lot of these. We sit in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is really a summary of so much of what Jesus taught, of what he commanded. Let your light shine. Not so that they glorify you, but so that they glorify your Father in heaven. Honor God's law, which is honor the word of God. None of it's going to pass away. All of it's going to be revealed. Be reconciled. We need to be reconciled with one another. Don't lust. Keep your word. Go the second mile. Love your enemies. Be perfect. Give, pray, and fast secretly. Lay up your treasures in heaven. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first. Judge not. Do not cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them and rend you. Ask, seek, and knock. Do for others what you want for yourself. Choose the narrow way. Why? For broad is the way of destruction. Beware of false prophets. Pray for laborers. Be wise as servants. Fear not. Hear God's voice and obey his words. Take his yoke and learn from him. Honor your parents. Beware of leaven. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow him. Despise not the little ones. Go to the offenders between yourself and them alone. Forgive offenders. Honor marriage. Beware of covetousness. Be the servant of all and you will be great. Be a house of prayer. Ask in faith without doubting. Bring in the poor. Render to Caesar what is his due. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Await my return. Eat, drink, uh, take, eat, and drink in reference to communion. Be born again to see the kingdom of God. If you love me, keep my commands. Watch and pray lest you enter temptation. Feed my sheep if you love me. Baptize my disciples in all nations. Receive God's power to live a life that witnesses God and make disciples by teaching others to observe my commands. You want to do those things? I do. God help me. Not a single one of those things is a burden. Every single one of those is an expression of the new heart that he has given to me. And that's my confidence in the elect lady, that he's given you that same new heart. I know that these are your desires. I know you want to be like Jesus. I know you, we were talking this morning, Nathan read through a passage in Ezekiel talking about the refiner's fire, refining metal refining silver, refining gold. And that process of heating it up, there's all the junk that's on the top, all the impurities, right, that need to be taken off. And again, the imagery for me is that's the dross, the junk that gets scoured off the top. That is exactly who I was, and that is exactly who I am apart from Christ. I'm, there's, there's nothing to be kept by God that's sourced in me. But as I submit to the Lord, as I love him, as I obey him, as I pursue him, and you the same way, it's I'm no longer the dross that needs to be tossed away. I'm that precious metal that is being left behind. And again, that imagery of when the, when the 
and the metallurgist can see their reflection when the Lord sees himself in us, then there's this picture of fullness. And that's what this, this imagery in the rest of his encouragement, this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that you have heard from the beginning that you should walk in it. The warning is that there are deceivers that have gone out into the world. And Paul, uh, man, John is dealing with the specific lie of his time, this is called uh, docetism, which leads into uh, Gnosticism of the time. And it's this lie that when the son came, he really didn't take on flesh. Because this, this flesh is evil, and because God is good, he could not be in what is evil. So therefore, he was just a spirit, just an image, just a reflection so again, there was a very specific lie about the nature and character of God in their community. And this is the idea of a deceiver. The word literally means to lead astray. That these deceivers, the language there in um, transgression, there in verse 9, transgression, it's the same thing, that you go aside from what God has commanded or you go beyond what God has commanded. So here's people sitting in their reception of the gospel. These are going to be individuals, in my opinion, that they never saw Jesus. They never heard him personally. They're in violation to the testimony about the truth of who John knows Jesus to have been. Again, John says, I handled him. I touched him. I ate with him. He was real. He was flesh. God was made flesh. He tabernacled with men. This is, this is a core doctrine in regards to what Jesus has done. This is what we just celebrated at Christmas time. God becoming flesh. But here are people who are now in the community and they're deceivers. Regardless of what their motivation is, they're, they're, they're leading astray. They're going beyond what the word of God says. They're sitting in human philosophy, human understanding, misrepresenting the nature and the character of God. So what happens when you get led astray? What happens when you get led astray from the truth? What are you left with? A lie. Something that's not true. An opinion, a philosophy, an idea about the nature and character of God. You can sit in all the world's religions. You can sit in all the world's philosophies. And there's all kinds of opinions, ideas, philosophies about the nature and character of who God is. John has given us the warning that if you hold on to a lie, and this is where, this is really cool, in verse... In verse 9, where it says, uh, if anybody does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. And in our marriage ceremonies, we talk about that uh, for your spouse, you have them and you hold them. It's the same thing here. If you do not abide in the doctrine, the teaching, the truth about who God is, you are having and holding something that's a lie. You don't have Christ. You're still abiding as a child of wrath, as a child of disobedience, abiding in darkness, but believing a lie, believing something that is untrue. So what's, what's the... This community already has the truth, so what is it about our hearts where we want to... Leave very clear definitions in regards to who God is. What is it about us that wants the other stuff? 
the secret stuff, the mystic stuff, the, um, the, that, that part of me that wants more of God than you have. That part of me that wants to know more about God than you know about God. The part of me that wants to experience God in ways that are beyond that you'd ever experience God. All of this is just rooted in pride. It's rooted in a religion, ultimately, that is all about me and about my wants and about what I think and my perspective. Again, this is, this is the root of, of what a lie is. And this is why he begins with, I love you in truth. And Jesus is what is true in, its def, in truth's definition. So when people come to you and they start communicating things that are deviant from this, which saying that Jesus did not come in the flesh is deviant from the revealed word of God, we can sit in, again, all kinds of deviant teachings in our own culture, make this relevant in the information that would be communicated to us today. But, Paul, uh, man, John's heart... Paul wrote the whole word, right? <laughs> um, John's heart as he's communicating to them, the warning that he's given is those who are speaking to you lies, leading you astray, going beyond what the word of God says, which again, we have truth here, and all we have to do is sit in this as the filter to help understand what is true and what is deception. Those who come in, we're given this very specific command that we are not to what? Not to receive, which means don't take them into your house, nor rejoice, nor greet him. For he who greets them, if you're rejoicing in the lies of another, you are sharing it. You have fellowship, koinonia, participation in their evil deeds. And again, this is the word where we get pornography from, poneros. It's, it's evil in its nature, in its character. So how does this, how does this apply in reality? Have you, any of you ever interacted with somebody who identifies themselves as a believer in God and as a believer in Jesus Christ, but you know that they are communicating lies to you? I became a believer in Salt Lake City, Utah. I've, I've had multiple conversations with those who believe what Mormon doctrine teaches. And just this the very simple Mormon doctrine teaches that God was just like you and I. Their God and their teaching, God was a man who, through obedience to his God, his creator, progressed to become a God himself, and we are the product of that being. Is that true or not? According, according to this, that is not true about the nature and character of who God is. So as I had interactions with, with many Mormons over time, I've, I struggled with hatred. I struggled with anger. I struggled with how can you be so stupid kind of positions. But ultimately what God was communicating to me, it's, it's we need to shine him in this world. We are told that we are to bless our enemies. We're not supposed to curse them. We're not supposed to tear them down. We need to engage in dialogue, but at the same time, we can't cast our pearls before swine. If somebody doesn't want to listen to truth, you can't force them to listen to truth. Has anybody ever forced you to listen to their perspective? If you don't want to listen to it, you don't have to listen to it. If you don't want to listen to God, you don't have to listen to God. 
But the ultimate heart of what's being communicated is at the same time, I don't, I, I don't need to express anger and hatred and animosity and bitterness uh, and opposition towards those who are communicating things that are untrue about God. But what I am commanded to do is not to rejoice with them. I don't rejoice in the life of those who bend the knee to Mormon doctrine. I don't rejoice in the life of those who bend the knee to Islam or to Buddhism or Confucianism or all these other isms. I don't rejoice with anybody who bends the knee to a religion and not to Jesus Christ. I don't rejoice with anybody who bends the knee to any human being other than our God who became flesh. Those are who we rejoice with. Those are who we welcome into our home. We receive them. We take them into our home. Now, this is dealing culturally with hospitality. You had traveling missionaries. You had people traveling and going through the world, going into all the nations and making disciples, preaching the gospel. And in the culture of this time, when you received, when you took somebody into your home, you're taking on a relationship with them. You're having them. And holding them. You're identifying yourself with them. You are receiving them. You are supporting what they are saying and what they are doing. You're owning their identity and who they are in a way. Very, uh, very important in Eastern culture. So the warning was, it's not that you just be rude and cut off and have no relationship with these people. If they need to be turned out of the church and they need to be turned over to Satan so that Satan in this world can deal with the flesh and they, they come back to the Lord in repentance, that's what we want because our God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked. So it's not, we, it, this isn't a command that we get weird with. The heart behind it is for you. Do you know who your God is? A little bit more are you full with the knowledge of god we pray that prayer in ephesians almost every week that you would be filled with all the fullness of god and john's emphasis here is that as we obey jesus as we obey his commands his direction his truth his love in our lives there is coming a full reward and that full reward is all of the fullness of God in you. He's writing these things so that your joy today would be full in Christ. That you would be complete, finished, satisfied, satiated with who Jesus Christ is. We don't, again, this, there's, there's lots of cliches that we sit in culturally that... Uh, um, it's not, that, it's not that you believe in Jesus and. There's nothing to add to him. When I am a hot pursuit of anything outside of Jesus, I know that I'm, I've, been, I've been led astray by my own heart, by my own mind, by things of the world telling me that this is what I need to have to have true joy, true, true happiness, true fullness in my life to be ultimately satisfied. And again, John is giving the encouragement of make sure that you look to yourself. You need to see you. And you need to see you in the truth. You need to see you in love. You need to see you in obedience to his nature, to his character, to his direction. 
And that is ultimately where your fullness, where your satisfaction is going to be today. And then we have that promise, and I love it. It's Psalm, I think it's Psalm 1715. It's, it's this truth that it's not going to be until the day that I see him that I will ultimately be satisfied, that I ultimately will be full, complete, and that's the encourage this simple letter that's that's what the encouragement is pay attention to what you listen to because a lot of what we listen to it is empty of god and if it's empty of god it is empty of truth you can say or somebody else can say i love god and they have and you have absolutely no relationship with god whatsoever if you love me you will obey my commandments. When we get into 1 John, you know that you know God if you're seeking to obey him. In recognition that every single one of us are utter failures in obeying his commands. He is the one that makes us able. He is the one that transforms our heart to desire to be obedient to those things. And when we're struggling and when we're fighting, he's right, he's right there with us. So this isn't like some big head trip of make sure you obey all 49 of those commands that I just read through or it's off with your head and off to hell with you. That's not God's heart. He's transforming us day by day. Worship team, come on up. Heavenly Father, we, we really do love you tremendously. We love sitting at your feet. We love being exposed to who you are. I'm thankful for the knowledge that you've given to me, this definition that you are truth, that you are life, that you are the bread from heaven, that you are the savior, that you're the creator, that you're gracious, that you're merciful, that you're patient. I'm thankful for all of the promises that are attached to your commands. That if I follow you, you will make me to be exactly who you've created me to be in your image. Lord, I want the whole world to know you. And I'm asking that you'd help me and that you'd help all of us as we have turned from everything else and we, and we follow you, that you would make us to be fishers of men. Help us, Lord, to proclaim what is true. Lord, if there's lies that we're holding on to, that we've taken, that we've received, we're asking that you'd expose those things in your light and in your glory and in your love and in your truth. Lord, that you'd help us to let go of opinions, deceptions, Lord, if there's relationships, if there's teachers that we're listening to, books that we're reading, people that we're watching, people that we have relationships with that are communicating lies that are leading us astray, that you'd expose those things so that we could be free from those things, Lord. We sang earlier this request that you take all of us that you take our minds and our wills and our lives, our intellect, our marriages, our kids, this congregation, our community. We want to be full of you. So help us, Lord.
We trust in your promise that as we ask, as we seek, as we knock, that you answer. As we pray that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Let it be so. Amen.